Well, good morning. This morning we're going to continue our series on the church, right? And, and we've heard Pastor Michael say something a number of times. It's something that we believe. It's something that we teach, but it's repeated again today. We know that the church is important to Jesus, right? Why is it important to Jesus? We know that he founded it. He died for it. He identifies with it. He nourishes and cherishes it. He uses the church to display his manifold wisdom and glory, and Jesus guarantees the church's victory. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at different ideas on what it means to be the church. We've talked about being the church by working together, by praying, by giving, being hospitable. And last week, Thomas from IBC in Richmond preached that the church loves. At the end of his sermon, he gave us some application points, and one of them dealt with forgiveness. One way that we show others the love that we are commanded to show is by forgiving. So this morning, we're covering the church, it forgives. Be the church by forgiving. You know, before Pastor Michael headed out of town, um, we chatted about some topics that I could cover um, today and next week. And I could have gone a few different ways. And as we wrap up our series over the next few weeks, we won't be able to cover every topic that could fit into this series, as you could probably imagine, right? One of those would be, uh, be the church, it makes disciples. And you might say, wow, that's a, that's a big one, right? That should probably not be left out. But I don't think that we are. You see, for the first quarter of 2023, and this current one, we have a class called Missions and Evangelism, that we've been covering that exact topic. And this quarter and next, we have a Sunday school class on discipling. And in that class, I was texted a picture this morning of the topic, they, they're covering missions and evangelism, Okay. Um, making disciples. I must say, though, I, I really have enjoyed the opportunity I had to be a part of an adult Sunday school class uh, this year. Don't get me wrong, okay? Middle schoolers, if you're here, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy our middle school Sunday school class, okay? Um, but, you know, working with kids and teens is great. But if there's a hole in your explanation of something, they find it and they don't hold back. Okay, you guys are kind. They, wait a second, Pastor Ethan, you said, but... But there's also something to be said about breaking down our faith uh, into a basic understanding, right, when we're teaching kids and teens. You know, thinking about kids, we read about how Jesus characterized conversion in Matthew 18. In chapter 18 in Matthew, in verse 2 and 3, it says this, And calling to him a child, this is Jesus, with his disciples, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, anyway. I, that's, that's my thing on kids today. I would encourage you, if you are not a part of an adult Sunday school class, though, um, to be a part of one. Did you know that there are a little more than half of you are already involved or a part of one of the classes regularly attending? If you look at the numbers, that's, that's phenomenal. And speaking of kids, this past week, many of us, right, were able to attend and be a part of VBS and teach and hear taught the truths of God's word, right? And what a blessing, again, it was. And thank you to all the volunteers again. So in preparation for today, I was praying through and reading some various passages. I hadn't settled on what topic I was going to go on yet. <clears throat> and I find myself coming back to this idea of forgiveness. And I had pretty much landed on that and had been reading through some different verses when last week Thomas preached on, on love. And I thought, wow, this is, this, I could see how this could flow right into forgiveness. And then he said his application point, and I was like, Okay, it does. Yep, I'm not, I'm not off on this. So I'm just going to try and dovetail in on the end of his. You've got to keep in mind everything he said about love 
remember it with perfect recall, which you're not going to be able to do, and uh, maybe go home and listen to it again on Facebook. <coughs> no, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. But like I said, in preparation, I kept trying to read chapters that we've talked about in this series and, and read the chapter from our scripture memory verses. And we've talked about Matthew 18, 15 to 20, dealing with, with church discipline and what to do when one is living in sin and the pattern we see there that Jesus gives. <coughs> and we've been memorizing verses from Ephesians 4, right? 11, 12, and 13. And as we read both of those chapters, have you read to the end of those chapters? Have you completed out the rest of those paragraphs on that page? As we read both those chapters to the end, we see forgiveness. We see them finishing with forgiveness, and we see it mentioned there. In Matthew, Jesus says to forgive, and at the end of Ephesians 4, Paul commands for believers to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. And as I could hear Ephesians 4, 32 rolling around in my head, and I say rolling around in my head because, you know, this is the first verse I can remember memorizing. I'm not sure why it was the first verse I remember memorizing. I'm not saying it was the first one I memorized. Maybe, you know, you would think maybe it's John 3, 16, right? Or I can remember uh, memorizing Ephesians 2, 8, 9 in Awana. But Ephesians 4, 32 was the first verse that I remember memorizing. Maybe that's because I needed to be able to teach it later to other people because they were going to have to be forgiving me a lot. <laughs> Another plug for Sunday school, though, is, uh, you know, it was my kindergarten Sunday school teacher who I remember challenging us to memorize that verse. Now, in kindergarten, I couldn't read, you know, at the beginning of kindergarten when that verse was, was challenged to us to memorize. But I could remember Ephesians 4.32, and I went home, and my parents helped me memorize that verse by teaching me what that verse was, what it meant, what it was calling us to do, and then helping me memorize it. But back to where I was. Another passage came to mind as I was thinking on Ephesians 4.32, and that was Colossians 3.13. This is a verse that came from our scripture reading this morning. And so it says this. Now, real quick, I don't know if the Bible app's going to work. It sort of worked on my phone, but it wouldn't work if I found it the normal way. So if you have the Bible app and you're able to pull it up, you're going to get all the verses we're at, and you maybe don't have to flip back and forth as much. Um, if it's not working, I'm sorry. If you give me your phone number real quick, I can text you the link. It will take you to it if I text you the link. But uh, that might take a while, too. But would you, who would you turn there, Colossians chapter 3? Because um, I want us to see this verse. So if you turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, it says this, Bearing with one another, and if one has a pl complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Now this, this passage is, is a part of that passage that Ty just read a few moments ago. As I turn to Colossians 3, as you are now, and read, I see the same reason for forgiveness that was given in Ephesians 4, 32. What does it say there in verse 13? What does it say there after forgiving each other? What's it say? What's it say? Okay, we're going to do things like we do in youth group. Okay, you got to answer. Got it? Okay, so I, I can, I'm really good at waiting in the awkward silence. So if no one answers, just, hey, just know we'll be here. What's it say right after forgiving each other? Okay, okay. As the Lord has forgiven you. That's right. Thank you for saying something because the silence would have killed me if it lasted any longer, right? Maybe not. Uh, I can handle it. We're going to try to move, th move through this quickly this morning and do things a little bit like youth group. So teens, set your timers for 
No, I'm just kidding. But they do that. You know that? I go, we have 27 minutes. They set their timers for 27 minutes, and they keep me on time. So we won't do that this morning. I can go as long as I want, as long as the nursery workers don't start sending the kids up. Anyway. It says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That is serious. Paul commands believers to forgive this way. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's the same words. Tell me if you can relate, okay? Kids make statements with a threat that they have no way of being able to fathom, right? So a while back, one of my kids said something along the lines of, I'm never going to, like, and you can think of things. You've heard kids say, right? And uh, I'm never going to do that thing ever again. Right? They were unhappy with something that they had been told to do or not to do. And uh, they made a statement that they had to be disciplined for and that they were, uh, that they were never going to do something like go outside again. Right? And it's, they can't even fathom the, the understanding of like how unreasonable that is. But, you know, there's another statement that people make that in comparison with these verses sounds just as foolish, and it's this. I could never forgive that person. You just don't know what they did to me. Think about that statement in line with these two verses that we've read. The reason we are commanded to forgive, the reason we can forgive, is because of what Christ did for us. Us saying we can't or won't forgive someone is like a child saying they're never going outside again. That's not to mean that it's not difficult. Because... Think about the forgiveness Christ gave to us. Was it difficult for him? Did it cause him pain? What did he do to make a way for our forgiveness? What did he do? He sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. If that's not difficult, then what is? So keep that in mind as we work through Matthew chapter 18, which is the text you see for today in your bulletin. So if you turn over to Matthew 18, we're commanded to forgive and to forgive as God forgave us because of the work of Christ on the cross. So like I said, we're going to do things a little different and like, and like youth group. So let me, guy, let me tell you guys a story. I'm going to turn there, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to look at Matthew 18. And I'm actually going to back up a little bit into chapter 17, but I'm going to kind of just tell the story of what's happening here. And if I miss something, I'll ask at the end, what did I miss? Anything big I missed from the story that we just didn't get? But we're going to try to end with verses 21 to 35 being the main part of the story that we're talking about. And it's going to be maybe a story that's familiar to you, but, but maybe just like follow along in your Bible, or you can just kind of listen along. But you see, if you back up in chapter 17 to set the context of what's going on and where they're at, one day Jesus arrives in Capernaum with his disciples. And when they arrive into town, Peter asks him a question. Peter asks him a question. And, and if, you, if you have your Bible open and you're looking there, he, Peter's like, uh, hey, uh, there's this tax. And Jesus gives him an answer about the tax. And he talks about who pays taxes and, and all that stuff. And he provides a way for Peter to go pay the tax. And he, and he makes some interesting comments. And we'll, we'll not talk about that. But, but so they're talking about taxes. And, uh, and Jesus is talking about, well, who gets charged the tax? Is it the, the son of the king or is it other people? No, all others. Okay, it's not the son. Okay, so this is what they're thinking about. And uh, as we pick up in chapter 18, the disciples come to Jesus, and, uh, and, they, and they ask him that question, right? Who is the greatest 
in the kingdom of heaven. Who's the greatest here? Definitely not Peter, right? Right? No. And, and Jesus, as they ask, ask that question, he calls to him a little child. He says, he brings this little child in the midst. We'll, we'll call this, uh, we'll call this little, little guy Asher. How about that, okay? And he brings Asher into the midst of them. And, and Jesus answers this disciple's question of who is the greatest by saying this. And I just read these a little bit ago. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. You know, Jesus continues on with the story, uh, talking about um, giving, he gives a warning. He, he's Jesus talking with the disciples there. He gives a warning of what, of what would happen to someone who tempts a child of God. And, and it is a strong warning. I mean, he strongly warns them of the danger of sin and emphasizes this with dramatic steps to take to avoid sin. And uh, he, check out your eye, cut off your hand. You've heard those verses before if you've been reading through Matthew. And he uses this graphic hyperbole to just demonstrate the seriousness of sins and the evil desire. Right? The point is that it would be more profitable to lose a member of one's own body than to bear the eternal consequences of, in, of the guilt from such a sin. Sin must be dealt with drastically because of its deadly effects. And this is, this is the setting as we're getting to the story we're going to talk about starting at 18. And Jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep, and this is a little different than the parable of the lost sheep in Luke, Luke 15, and, and, and he talks about the shepherd rejoicing at the one out of a hundred that is found. And then Jesus shares what the child of God, his disciple, is to do if a fellow child of God has sinned. And, and we've, covered, we've covered this, okay? Right? It's first go with the person, second take others with them, and third take it to the church. And we've, we've talked about those verses in Matthew 18. And this is what's happening. And then Peter comes up to him. Now, can you imagine? This is Peter. And he comes up to Jesus and he says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And, and how often... Do I need to forgive him? Right? Because, like, like, I know I need to forgive them. I, I've learned from you that we need to forgive. And, you know, I think, I think, Jesus, should we forgive them seven times? And Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, No, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. You, Peter, you need to understand, it's not just... It's not just seven times. It's so many times you can't keep track. You need to just forgive and forgive and forgive over and over. You know, Jesus then tells them, I, I have another parable for you. You know, he says, he says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so here we pick up in verse 21, a story of a king. And so we have a king here, and this king stands at his throne, and he says, I, I have a lot of people that owe me some money. Well, you know, bring all those people in, and let's start settling these accounts, okay? Hey, start with the guy that owes a lot, because, you know, I want to start, start seeing my money come in, okay? And so, okay, you guys go get that guy. And in walks the governor. And he says, he says to the king, I, I owe you some money. The king says, 
Cole, you owe me millions. You owe me millions and millions and millions. You owe me so much money. Pay it back now. The man turns to the king and says, I can't. I, I do not have the money. I don't have it. I can't get it. And the king looks at him. That's it. Put him in jail. Put him in jail and his family in jail. He's never going to be able to repay it. I just want him punished for not being able to pay his money. The man turns to the king. king gets down and just, please, please give me more time. I promise I will pay what is owed. Please just give me more time. And Jesus continues the story by saying that the king had pity on the man. And he turns to the man, the king says to the man, not just you'll have more time, but your debt is forgiven. It's wiped clean. No more. I'm settling the account. It's done. Can you imagine being that man who had just been down on his knees pleading for his life and the life of his family, knowing he would never be able to repay that debt and come out of prison? He was there forever. Well, that man gets up. Thank you, king. Thank you. He starts leaving. And as he walks out into the courtyard, he sees another guy who works for the king. This guy owes him some money. And he grabs him by the throat. You owe me money. You owe me a couple thousand dollars, maybe like $10,000. Pay it now. You know what? Go to jail. Grabs him by his throat. And sends him to jail because he can't pay. A couple thousand dollars. Quickly, some of the other servants, can you, can you imagine, can you see what he just did? The king forgave him all that money, and he just went out and did that? To, well, I'm going to tell the king. And the other servants get together, and they, they head out. And the king, I have to tell you what just happened. The man you forgave an, unfor, an, unjust, an amount of money he could never repay just demanded smaller sum from someone else and sent him to jail because he could not pay. The king is just furious. How dare he do that? Let me just read the strong words that Jesus gives of what that king's response is. In anger, his masters delivered him to the jailers until they should pay all his debt. In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Here we have one man who owes an unfathomable amount of money. It says something like 10,000 shekels or 10,000 talents. That's just a lifetime collection of money. Now, why he owed that money, we don't get that from the story. We don't need to assume. We just know he owed so much. The other man says he owed 100 denarii. That's like three to four months' wages. Thousands compared to millions. It's ridiculous. Okay, so that was a, the story that Jesus told. And he says at the end, so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what does this all mean for us today, right? 
what does it mean when it means forgive? We've seen we're commanded to forgive. We're able to do it because of Jesus. We're to forgive like Jesus. And now we have this story. How do we take this? What do we do with this? Well, first, we must forgive without limit. This story that Jesus told sets a foundation that helps us understand what Paul wrote later in Ephesians 4.32 and in Colossians 3.13. At the end of the story, the king says to the first servant, right? I summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, right? And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you, right? Maybe this parable is extreme. Maybe that's what you're thinking. I mean, I personally don't go around grabbing people by the throats, right? And demanding that they right their wrongs against me. Remember, this story was Jesus' answer to Peter on how many times he must forgive someone. Remember my example of a child who makes an outlandish statement? Remember what I said about us saying we can't or won't forgive someone? Here, Peter recognized that he needs to forgive one who sins against him. Hey, we rag on Peter, right? Uh, For stepping out of the boat and then losing faith or the things he says or cutting off a man's ear, right? We rag on him. But, But Peter is... This guy is clearly learning from Jesus, right? Um, At this time, there was a a rabbinical tradition that you had to forgive someone three times. And then the fourth time, nope, that's it. You don't have to forgive him anymore. And Peter's, he's learning from Jesus. He's recognizing this need for forgiveness. And and he's he's observing Jesus and he's he's learning from him. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to double it and add one just for good measure. I'm going to double the amount of times I'm supposed to forgive and add one. Seven times? Should I forgive him seven times? Like, right? That should be more than enough. And what's Jesus' reply in this, in this story? No. Jesus' answer makes Peter understand that even doubling and adding one is not enough. Jesus states not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on your translation. The idea that Jesus is communicating is that the number of times to forgive has no limit. Now you might be asking yourself, what if I don't believe that they are truly repenting? Do I still have to forgive? We cannot truly know the thoughts of another person, can we? And in, this, in these verses that we have looked at this morning, there's no exception for when we can forgive. Okay, so we must forgive, and if they sin against us again at another point in time, we must forgive again. That's good news for me, right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I definitely know I'm not perfect and will successfully put my foot in my mouth again and again and again, and I will have to seek your forgiveness. Now, wait a second. Surely we cannot be expected to forgive one another if what they sinned against us is the same exact thing, though, right? Well, Luke records for us Jesus saying this way in Luke chapter 17. He says in Luke 17, 3 and 4, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forget him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Maybe we should have just read that verse first, right? That would have answered our question of, uh, uh, of what if I don't believe that they're truly repenting? What's it say here? Not only must we forgive people in an unlimited number of times, but we must do it no matter how often it is even if it's seven times in one single day, right? And that's what it says right there. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There is no judging of their heart or motive. 
just an action based on their words. I want us to note two, two things about the pattern we see from, from these passages. In both the account in Matthew and Luke, we see that the brother who sinned is told that he has sinned, right? We'll not go into this much now. We've covered the process of going to the one who has sinned in previous sermons. But it's a good time to remind ourselves not to let something that another brother or sister has done to linger in our hearts. If we let it linger in our hearts, it can fester and even cause us to be the one who is sinning, as it leads to improper thoughts and actions that we may have or take, right? When there is something a brother or sister has done to sin against you, tell them and give them the opportunity to say, yes, verbally say, I repent. And when they do, we must forgive them. In Matthew 18, right before Peter asked this question, Jesus has told him to go and tell the person that they're sinning. In Luke 17, Jesus says, tell the person that they're sinning. You know, the other thing to note is that when another comes to you with a fault, receive it and repent, right? As much as the command here is to, to repent, or is to forgive, it is to repent, right? This is so hard for us to do, right? Maybe we feel as though we have done nothing wrong. You ever been that way? You ever had someone approach you and tell you that they sinned against you, and you're like, what? <laughs> Come on, right? No, no, really. Receive it. Or maybe we feel as though we've done nothing wrong. Or maybe we're unwilling to repent because we have no desire to stop living in the sin. If they have approached us about it, right? We're called to repentance as much as we are called to forgive. They go together. Repentance and forgiveness are inseparably linked together. We must forgive without limit. We saw the two notes about the pattern we see. Go and tell them that they have sinned. And when you are approached, repent. Third, a life to live so that we can forgive. Maybe you're like me, and you find it hard to forgive a brother or sister. Maybe it's not something that is hard for you, right? Maybe it's easy for you. But I can find it hard sometimes to forgive. You know, as I think of the people who I've had to repent to multiple times, there are some things about them that I think stand out as one who is able to forgive as Christ forgave us. And it makes sense, too, because if you see the qualities one is to have and the attitudes they are not to have that are commanded, they're, they're listed with the command to forgive, right? So if we back up to verse 31 of Ephesians 4, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Think about those words, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, right? These verses summarize the changes in the life of a believer that were mentioned previously in the chapter. Bitterness reflects this smoldering resentment, right? Wrath has to do with rage, the passion of the moment. Anger is more internal, right? Deep hostility. Clamor is the cry of strife out of control. Slander is speaking evil of another. Malice, is one commentator wrote, is the general Greek term for evil, the root, which evil is the root of all vices, right? Those whom I've had to repent to multiple times who have always forgiven me are also tender-hearted and kind. They do not have bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, or slander, or malice in their lives. 
They're someone who has this new life that has been given to them through Jesus Christ. You know, Colossians 3, 12, because again, we read through Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 12 says this, as it's summarizing the, the new life that a believer is to have in Christ. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So kind, humble, patient, meek. These are the marks of one who forgives. These are the marks of one who has put on the new self. The one who has a new life in Christ because of his work on the cross. So if we're commanded to forgive and we struggle with it, or we know we need to do it and we need to be better at it, what should we be doing? How can we be preparing our own heart and our own lives for this? Well, by putting off the things listed in Ephesians 4.31, bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, slander, malice, and by putting on, as it says in Colossians 3.12, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And as we finish up, lastly, like as a reminder to us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the children of God. In this story that I repeated, that we read in Matthew's account of Jesus' teaching, we are the little child who comes to Jesus humbly and seeks his forgiveness for our sin. And you know, it's really cool as you read through Matthew 18, you, you, we have that little guy, Asher, right, who's put in, in the midst. And quickly Jesus moves from beyond speaking of one specific child to speaking of people in general. He moves away from talking and directing his thoughts on a child as one specific individual and moving to multiple as we think about it, we are the little children who come to Christ. We are the little children who come to God. We humbly seek his forgiveness for our sin. You know, our sin or our activity that is contrary to God's will is forgiven by God when we turn and repent to him. And we know that if we, right, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this isn't a one-time thing. He's going to forgive us our sins. There's this action here that is continuing. As we continue to confess our sins as children of God, He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins. And He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's promise to always forgive us. God promises to always forgive us when we confess our sins to Him. This is the command we have. Forgive one another. And this is how we be the church. Before I finish up with one last thing, maybe this week the challenge for us as believers is to go home and consider who in our hearts we need to forgive. Maybe it's something that's just been sitting there in the back, right? What believer are we to forgive? If we go back to Pastor Thomas's message last week, the reason we forgive is because of love. If we love one another, to be the church, to be unified as the church, we are to love each other. Love is what unifies us. And part of loving is forgiving others. But maybe we're the person who needs to repent. Maybe we're the person that has been approached by someone else. Maybe we're the one that needs to repent. Would you prayerfully consider those two areas of our, our life? And if you're anything like me, and most of the people I know well, it's both, right? It's not just one or the other. There's people you need to forgive in your heart, and there's people you need to repent to and to God. Lastly, friend, are you a child of God? 
I've been talking about being a child of God. And you may be wondering what that means. If you're visiting, your first time, you're new. Or maybe you know what it means, but you know that you are not one. It's as simple as ABC. You know, the Bible tells us that if we, A, admit that you, like me, like all people, do stuff wrong, that we are sinners and we have done things contrary to God's will, we admit that we need saving, admit that we're sinners. B, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe that he is the way, the truth, and life. And just like she said, and we have had communicated to us through the gospel writers, Christ died for our sins. Do we believe that he is the Son of God and that he died on on the cross for our sins? And then C, call. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here and you've never done that, would you do that today? And if you have more questions, would you talk about it with me or the one who invited you today? But as we go out this week, to be the church, we forgive. It's seen throughout the scriptures. We see it. We could have gone to so many different verses. The command to forgive. And so may God help us to forgive each other and to be unified in love. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Lord, most of all, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer to us so that we can have a restored relationship with you. Relationship that was, was ruined by our sin. And Lord, as we continue to sin, Lord, would you, through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, would you continue to grow us, mold us into the image of Christ? And Lord, I pray that we would continually conf- come before you and confess our sins, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us. God, I pray that if there are any here today who do not know you as their Savior, that they would trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would repent. And Lord, for those of us who are your children, may we love each other with genuine love, with love that mirrors the love that you have for us, that we would forgive others, that we would repent when others come to us so we may receive their forgiveness, Lord. As we go here today, may you help us to apply this. May you help us to spread your word so that others may be forgiven by your sin as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.